Hi, it's Debbie. I'm so excited to tell you about our new sponsor, Uplift Desks. As a therapist, I sit a lot while I work, and if I sit all day, I feel pretty terrible by the end of the day. So I love to change things up by standing sometimes while I'm working at my computer. Whether I'm checking emails or preparing for my next podcast interview, a standing desk helps me stay alert and feel better at the end of the day. Uplift Desks has a terrific selection of standing desks and other office furniture to help you work better and live healthier. You can customize your configuration to your body and your workspace. They offer free shipping, free 30-day returns and return shipping, and a 15-year warranty. And every desk purchase includes a free accessory. Remember, by supporting our sponsors, you are supporting the podcast. Go to upliftdesk.com POTC for 5% off your order. That's U-P-L-I-F-T desk.com POTC to get 5% off your entire order. Do you ever wonder what therapists talk about over coffee? Well, we're three clinical psychologists, Dr. Diana Hill, Dr. Ray Littlewood, and Dr. Debbie Sorensen, and we'd like to welcome you to Psychologists Off the Clock. In this podcast, you'll get a glimpse into the books we read, the research we think is interesting, and the ideas from psychology that we use to thrive in our own lives. Our webpage is www.offtheclockpsych.com, and there you can find resources we mentioned in this episode, as well as other podcasts we've posted. You can also find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, Debbie. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Um, so I hate to say it, but I'm going to start today's episode with a little bit of bad news. Uh-oh. Life is hard. I agree. <laughs> yeah. So what we're talking about today is resilience and how people kind of bounce back from difficulty. But just to kind of throw this out there, basically any person who sticks around long enough will face some inevitable difficulties in life. Um, at some point, people will face loss, tra- potentially trauma. Some people have really difficult childhoods. Um, serious health or work problems, accidents or injuries, you know, wars, global tragedies, disasters. There's just a, such a long list of things that that people will face. And truthfully, most of us will experience at least some of these difficult events at some point yeah. in life. Yeah. Yeah. And what psychologists have learned is that people really vary in how they kind of adapt and respond to events like these. Um, And you probably know just from experience that some people just have a really hard time after stressful life events. And some people seem to just bounce back more easily. Um, So, for instance, some kids who have a really difficult childhood seem to just do better than you might expect. Um, And others have a much harder time kind of adapting down the road. Um, And most of us can be at least somewhat resilient in our lives. But what is it about, you know, bouncing back that some people seem to to bounce back more than others? And this is just a really important and I think really interesting question in psychology, um, which is like, what, why do some people seem to bounce back more easily than others? And what are the factors that seem to make a difference? And are there things that we can do to promote resilience and to help, you know, bounce back when the hard stuff does inevitably come up? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So we're gonna, so we're taking it as sort of a given that I think I read somewhere that like 50 to 60% of adults in the U.S. sort of qualify as have having, as have had it, 
as have ha- having had a traumatic life event. So more than half of us, really something significant like a loss or a trauma happens and we're going to focus on the how do you get through it um, and be resilient. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of really interesting research about this. I think it's fascinating. Um, And the hard part, of course, is boiling it down to (laughs) their books and books and so many articles about this. Boiling it down to the kind of the key point is always a challenge. Um, But what we're going to do today, we're going to talk about resilience. What is it? What isn't it? And we're going to look at a few really interesting areas of research that we want to highlight because there's, again, there's a lot. So we're going to pick a few that we think are interesting. And then we're going to try to translate that into some ideas for how to promote resilience in your own life so that when those difficult things do happen, um, you can kind of do the best you can to be resilient. So we'll start with what is resilience? Because this is kind of the, the framing question here. Um, And there's a lot of different ways that people look at resilience. Um, If you kind of look into the research, there's a whole bunch of different definitions of it and ways that people look at it. But there's really two key components to resilience. The first piece is that obviously there has to have been some sort of adversity or difficulty or risk um, to overcome in the first place. So something challenging must have happened. And then part two is that the person is coping well and not really having any major problems in response. And there's some variation in how people look at this. Some people just basically say like continuing normal functioning and just not sort of falling apart or having any psychopathology is counts as resilience. And other people who look at that really focus more on those people who are really thriving, the people who are doing extremely well mm-hmm. in response to difficulty. Yeah. Yeah, a researcher named Meichenbaum, he's a huge resilience researcher who's um, in Miami at the Melissa Institute. He lays out a couple of um, ways of thinking about it, like bouncing back, beating the odds, and then transforming emotional or or physical pain into something positive, moving from being a victim to a survivor and even to becoming a thriver. So I think, yeah, those are kind of more of sort of a lay person way of thinking about it, that it doesn't necessarily mean that you bounce back to being even better than you were doing before the event, but that you just might come back to your regular baseline. Um, Mm -hmm. Or there's some people who really turn it into, you know, kind of a, um, a growth opportunity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll talk about that in a, a little bit later in the episode, um, just that some of those things that people really do to grow and thrive. Um, but to start with a few characteristics of like delving a bit deeper into what resilience is, um, a couple key things that kept coming up as I was reading. First of all, resilience is more common than you might think. It's not, I think we tend to think of it as this really rare, unique thing, just these exceptional people have it, but actually most people are able to come overcome adversity, at least to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a researcher, a developmental researcher in, at the University of Minnesota named Ann Mastin, who studies childhood resilience. She calls it ordinary magic. She actually has a book called Ordinary Magic. Like and what she talks, yeah, she talks about how in childhood, it's really 
these protective factors that help kids be resilient are really ordinary processes. So just normal adaptive processes that most of us have in our development. And we'll talk about what those are a bit later, but I like that title, Ordinary Magic, because it's not like some really, you know, you don't have to be a superhero. It's These are things, these are potential things that most most people already have going for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and as psychologist George Bonanno in at Columbia University has found that people react in a lot of different ways to to major loss or trauma. And basically the most common trajectory is actually resilience. And he defines resilience as sort of maintaining normal functioning. But mm-hmm. what he finds is that that's actually more common than the other trajectories. Um, so interestingly, yeah. it's not this just an extremely rare thing, um, but something that most people are capable of. Yeah. Resilience is also an ongoing and dynamic process. And so it's sort of adaptation and growth over time. It's not like a one-time thing, but instead something that's sort of an ongoing process mm-hmm. that can last, you know, days, weeks, months, years. Um, which, is, which I and think, yeah. It makes sort of makes it difficult to measure. I think that's what makes exactly. some of this so complicated. Absolutely, it's like happening <laughs> continuously. It's not like, you know, you can just take sort of snapshots at moments in time. Right. Hence the fact that there's so much research about this, and it's you know so many volumes about it because it's not this really simple, straightforward kind of one-time yeah, thing. Yeah, easy measurable thing. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that resilience is, is a set of protective factors that can help people succeed in spite of challenges. So we'll go through some of specifically what these factors are. Um, and what's interesting to me is that some of these things are kind of outside of our control, you know, things that we're either born with, like genetics, or, you know, things that we can't really control, like the family that we're born in and that kind of thing. But there are some skills, I think, involved with resilience and some things that we can cultivate and learn. So we'll talk a little bit about both of those things today. Cool. Yeah. So and here are some things that are real is that resilience is not. So first, it's not a personal trait that you either like either you have it or you don't have it. Mm -hmm. So again, it's more of this ongoing process, but it's not like, oh, this person's resilient and that person's not. I think that's it's tempting to look at it that way, but that's really not it's more complicated than that. Yeah, and I think um, oftentimes people kind of confuse resilience as a personality trait. And there's definitely a correlation between personality styles and your likelihood of being resilient, but it's not the same, it's not the same thing. Personality traits are more stable throughout the lifetime. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, Resilience also is not this all or nothing thing. Again, so it's not like you always have it or you never have it. So for instance, the context really matters. Like the same person could be resilient in one situation, but not another. You know, it might matter the time in your life, you know, like when you're a certain age, it might be harder or a certain situation in your life, um, like just what else is happening. Um, also, it could be harder potentially to be resilient in a situation where you have multiple stressors going on at once. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you might bounce back really easily from really easily from a trauma or a loss in one situation, but if you're already in a really stressful point in your life, it might be harder. Mm-hmm. So again, it's more complicated. Yeah. And then finally, another thing that resilience is not 
it's not simple. So there's no one sort of magical key to resilience. I wish we could have this episode and be like, here's the key to resilience. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's not really like that. Um, Anne Mastin has written that there are many paths to resilience. And it's important to note that the resilient the processes that are related to resilience happen on a lot of different levels. So everything from your neurobiology, um, Mastin says, having a healthy human brain in good working order. Um, so, you know, again, sort of the genetic and biological components of it to individual characteristics like, you know, personality, intelligence, um, being able to regulate emotions and think flexibly. Um things like early environment. So people who sort of are, you know, raised with a caring family or who learn some skills in childhood who are fortunate enough to be in a, a family like that, they, that seems to matter all the way up to the social environment and the community and the system. So things like social support and connection, having supportive schools and communities and that kind of thing. So it happens on all these different levels. It's really not a simple thing. And most people who are resilient use um, internal and external resources on all of these different levels. Yeah. And I think it's really, what do you think about this? I think it's really important to recognize that um, having some um, negative emotions during the process of going through something stressful um, does not mean that you're not resilient. It's absolutely it's, it, you can be depressed, you can be super anxious, and you can still be resilient. Definitely. And I think we'll talk about that more when we talk about how people respond to loss, because being resilient in the face of loss doesn't mean that you don't have emotions. It doesn't mean that you don't feel sad or you don't care. In right. fact, you know, that's very human and normal. Yeah. It means more that you're able to sort of keep going. Right. Um, but yeah, absolutely. It's not the same thing as saying that, that it doesn't affect you emotionally at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Certainly. And actually, I think it's, I think some research has shown that it's the ability to sort of tolerate those two things side by side, like the positive and the negative, you know, that mm-hmm. sort of to be able to move, like that's kind of the emotion regulation part we'll probably talk about later, that it's like the ability to sort of move back and forth between the positive and negative is part of the resilience. Definitely. And and being able to sort of respond to your emotions in a healthy way, I mm-hmm. think is absolutely key. Yeah. So let's delve a little bit into a few areas of research, and we'll get back to that that in a minute. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I just kind of, I think this is so fascinating, just a historical note. Um, I hope everybody else thinks this is fascinating too, but resilience research really kind of started with developmental psychology after World War II. Um, just what happened is that some psychology researchers were taking a look at at children who are at risk after war. So there are all these children who had been through trauma, severe trauma um, after war. Some of them lost their parents. And so they were in these, you know, kind of orphanage. There's a lot of research Michael Rudder did about um, these kids who were basically neglected in these orphanages in Romania severely. Um, and were some of them were adopted out and et cetera. And So they were studying risk, basically, but what they started to notice was that some children did a lot better 
than you would expect, given what they had been through. And so this became sort of a general finding. And so they really started to be interested in that. Like, why is it that some kids who were in these really difficult, high-risk environments, um, why do some do better than others? Mm -hmm. And what it is about these kids that they're able to bounce back? And so now there's a ton of developmental research looking at all these different adverse events that can happen in childhood. So abuse, childhood poverty, kids who lose a parent or whose parents get divorced, um, et cetera. And there's just really books and books and hundreds of research articles on this. Um, and basically, uh, it's a little hard to recap <laughs> all that research, but in her book, Ordinary Magic, um, and Mastin, who I mentioned earlier, she came up with kind of a short list of factors from the developmental psych literature that seem to really promote resilience in young people. Um, so there are a lot of, again, external factors. So things like just lucky enough to have caregiving, effective caregiving and parenting, having close relationships with capable and caring, caring adults. And for kids, if that's not going to be a parent, it could potentially be someone else, you know, another family member, a neighbor, a teacher, but just having an adult who cares really matters. Um, so things like having close friends and eventually romantic partners that, um, you know, as in adulthoods that are supportive, having effective schools, having well-functioning communities. Um, so those are sort of the, the external things that matter and the internal characteristics and processes that matter. So having intelligence and problem solving skills matters, um, the ability to self-regulate and to have, you know, emotional regulation. And that's something I think that that can be taught at least to some degree. Mm -hmm. um, having a motivation to succeed, self-efficacy and having faith, hope and the belief that life has meaning. Being able to make meaning out of difficulty mm -hmm. is absolutely something that we see again and again that matters with resilience. Yeah, I think, well, it's interesting that it's it's fantastic, actually, that she has compiled this list. And I think when you talk about the volumes and volumes of research and self-help books and, you know, popular psychology books that are out there, um, it's really important to recognize that a lot of people take one piece of that list, right? Like there's recently right. a book called grit or something like that and it was like this is the thing you know yeah, that yeah that predicts like success and happiness and everything and it's like well um if you look at it under a microscope like that right like she was looking at um perseverance basically in school and overcoming mm -hmm. challenges and um and yes like that is one component of resilience um and if you have very high levels of that one component, then you're more likely to be resilient. But, um, but really, it, you could have lots of other things going on, right? You could have lower levels of other things and, and still be resilient. So it's great to look at it as the big picture and then also on this sort of like smaller level. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's just really important to to recognize that there are a whole bunch of, of areas where so specifically with childhood, a whole bunch of areas where you could intervene if there is a problem. Mm -hmm. So and I think that a lot of people who are in this, this world of research are really hoping to come up with some ways to help kids, mm -hmm. more kids be more resilient. So things like helping them have those community supports and helping them build the skills. Yeah. 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 
So, and Ray, I think you were going to talk about some similar um, kind of findings with adult populations. Yeah, just um, to recap what Mike and Baum has researched, he's looked at both um, veteran and civilian populations um, and finds that um, for veterans who are deployed to um, either war or peacekeeping um, situations, that 80% of people returning, of veterans returning, are resilient. And that means that they have had both positive and negative experiences associated with their deployment, um, but that many um, focus on the positive effects. So things like finding meaning and feeling purposeful really outweigh the negative experiences that they have. And we'll talk a little bit later about how important it is when you have like a, you know, a long period of time, say you're deployed for nine months and a lot happens during that time. And one of the key processes of developing resilience um, is the ability to sort of come up with a narrative that makes sense. And so that's one of the skills that we'll talk about later is how to tell a story for yourself or reframe a story about what happened in a way that um, emphasizes the positive gains that you've made. And also he talks about in civilian populations that people who are survivors of natural disasters, terrorist events, that only a small minority of people experience prolonged intense distress or PTSD symptoms. Um, so we'll provide a link to a summary of his research in our show notes. Um, and just to summarize, um, for both of those populations, he's come up with a, a, a couple of psychological characteristics of resilient individuals. So first is the experience of positive emotions and regulating strong negative emotions. So like I mentioned earlier, it's kind of that ability to hold both the positive and negative and really focus on um, being able to build on the positive aspects. The other is to adapt a task-oriented coping style. So I read something in doing a little research on this about, I think it was a, I think it might have been the tsunami um, in Thailand that they were just talking about reporters observing people who had lost everything and how almost the immediate response was to start rebuilding and to really like get, you know, get focused on, okay, what can we do to fix this? And so the people who are kind of taking the lead with that are doing this. They're adapting a, tax, a task-oriented coping style. And that, you know, that involves a lot of those processes that Anne Mastin was talking about, you know, self-efficacy, the belief that you can control your environment and be effective um, and handle things, seek out challenging experiences. Um, the third uh, psychological characteristic is cognitive flexibility. Um, so that's the ability to reframe, redefine, find benefits, um, engage in social problem solving, and we'll talk more about that as well and how to sort of develop resilience. Um, the, the fourth is undertake a meaning-making mission. So this is 
very common in both health populations and in specific kind of populations with challenges. So cancer survivors have a lot of um, opportunities to connect with other survivors. Um, people who, for example, had someone who um, committed suicide. There's um, lots of opportunities to connect around that and and to really then take that on as your kind of mission to, um, to help others or to be more, uh, to bring this subject to, to light in the media. And then finally, um, sort of back to the basics, keep fit and safe. Exercise, follow a routine, reduce your risks, and avoid unsafe high-risk behaviors like substance abuse or adrenaline sensation-seeking type of activities. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's, a, I think, a helpful summary that does launch to, okay, here are some of the things that you can actually, you know, take on and do um, improve upon. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really cool. And there's some similar research. I won't get into it, but we can link to it on um, on our show notes about how people respond to trauma by Bonanno from from University of Columbia. I had talked about him earlier, um, who finds really similarly um, just some different qualities of resilience and how resilience is a pretty common response. Um, but that there are certain characteristics that seem to matter. And some people even have, I think this is similar to what you were saying, Ray, but some people even have post-traumatic growth. So Tedeschi and Calhoun at the University of North Carolina in Charlotte talk about these people who actually experience some positive life change after difficult life events. And so again, this is these are this is this sort of thriving category of resilience. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple things that they found that certain people seem to have in response to uh, trauma. One is that they have sort of a cha- shift in their priorities after a trauma and an increased appreciation of life. So for instance, instead of being sort of down in the dumps or, I mean, they might again experience some sadness, but instead of, of having sort of a negative worldview, what, what happens is that they it makes them appreciate what's really important and maybe reprioritize mm-hmm. and just appreciate like, wow, I'm so lucky because I have this life to live. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one is that they new possibilities open up as a result of trauma. So maybe they take that experience and they explore some possibilities they had never considered previously. Um, The third one is spiritual development. So they might have some sort of spiritual process that happens in a result of trauma. Closeness in relationships. So social support matters a lot and connection. And what can sometimes happen for some people is that the result of going through difficulty can actually increase relationship closeness. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of considered a positive outcome. And then finally, having a greater sense of personal strength. So if you feel like, wow, I really made it through this tough time, it can really add to your sense of like, wow, I can do this. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a certain strength that happens out of that. Yeah, that I'm a survivor, you know, those bumper stickers and all those, yeah, positive sort of ways of thinking about yourself. Yeah, yeah. So I want to maybe shift gears to talk, we've been talking about trauma, but to talk a little bit about loss and how people respond to loss um, in very similar, similarly. Um, but there, there are some 
there's some research about how people grieve and how that sort of traditional stages of grief model. Ray, do you remember the five stages of grief? Yeah. yeah. We were all sort of trained in probably. Yeah. Yeah. Denial, um, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And you're supposed to go through those in order in order right, to do it right. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of the old the old view. And, and there probably are some people who grieve in that particular way, um, the stages of grief model. And that's a lot of traditional grief, grief work in mental health treatment just assumes that people go through these stages in that way. Um, but according to some newer research, Bonanno um, wrote a book called The Other Side of Sadness, What the New Science of Bereavement Tells Us About Life After Loss. Oh, I like that title. Yeah, yeah. And it, and what they found is that that may only be true for like a small subset of the people who are grieving, that there are a lot of, of different um, sort of ways that people grieve and that that's not always the case and that that's OK, mm-hmm. um, that the sort of traditional way that we do grief therapy may be helpful to a subset of people, but it could actually be unhelpful and even harmful to some people. So some people don't go through in that way and that they actually, they're okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So we don't have to people. Or maybe they experience other things like um, Mm -hmm. relief or, you know, some kind of like, oh, the upside of having had this loss um, is, you know, and that's, that may that may feel sort of like oh I'm doing it wrong or that's not the right, right way I should be feeling at this time. Yeah, it's funny you mention it because Bomnano actually talks about that. I think in his own life that there was with a loss that he ex- had experienced there was a sense of relief mm-hmm. uh, of relief, and that that is something that can also just be a normal response to grief. It's not necessarily that there's something wrong with you or that that's bad, mm-hmm. um, but you know. That that resilient response um, that some people just don't go through that, you know, severe depression and anger and whatnot, that's not necessarily indicative of of a problem or pathology, but it can be a healthy reaction. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for some people, that's not a problem or something that you have to work on, but that's just a natural response. Yeah, I remember you talking about that in relation to your work with um, spinal cord patients. Yeah. So there's some really, I I do a lot of work with people with disabilities and spinal cord injuries and other sort of severe health problems. And some people go through a lot of change and loss and, you know, change of functioning as a result of that. And what's interesting is that some people never really go through a phase of depression or really severe emotional adjustment. And I think we tend to expect that people will, and that if they don't, that they're like, the word that everyone always says is they're in denial. Mm. Um, but in fact, some people never go through that and they're actually okay. And the research in the rehab psych world suggests that they actually, in the long run, the people who don't go through that are actually sort of doing better. And it's, I think it's a little bit counterintuitive. We think, oh, that must be so horrible and you must be going through this really profound adjustment. And if you're not, then you're in denial. When in fact, that's just one of many sort of healthy ways to respond yeah. to loss. Yeah. Well, I think we always put ourselves in their position, you know, like, what would it be like for me if I was paralyzed, right? Like, oh, my God, yeah. I couldn't play tennis. I would be so devastated. I mean, not that tennis is my whole life, but like all of the physical <laughs> activities that like I feel like keep me sane and um, bring a lot of joy to my life. 
And so I can't imagine, oh, what if I never got to do those things again? But then, you know, that's not really an accurate view. Like once it happens, I'm sure, right, your perspective changes. And all of these things that we're describing, like the ability to sort of reframe what happened um, and find the um, the benefits or the the positive aspects of a loss or a change, yeah. um, you know. Yeah, and, you know, we're, we're notorious. Yeah, yeah. We're notoriously bad at predicting our own emotional response. We might assume that we're going to respond in a certain way. And then when something happens, we might not actually that it's called affective forecasting, like how we predict we will respond emotionally. We're not really great at that, actually. And sometimes we surprise ourselves. And so I think the the bottom line of this is that don't expect that you will respond in one particular way. And don't assume that there's something wrong with you if you're not responding in the way you thought you would. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I just want to reiterate a point you made earlier that being resilient does not mean a lack of emotional response. So, you know, after a loss, you might have a lot of emotions. Um, it's more that and, and we're wired to feel the way like sadness is an important emotion. I love this quote. Grief is the price we pay for love. Mm. So sadness really connects us to other people. And it's a really important thing to feel. By the way, that quote apparently is attributed to Queen Elizabeth when I was looking it up, but it's actually, that's incorrect. It was an English psychiatrist who said it. She yeah. must've quoted it maybe or something. She, and so she got, yeah, Colin Murray Parks said it. Um, so cool. anyway, side note. Um, but yeah, I think, and one thing that might differentiate resilient people is that they can see that those emotions will come and go and continue to move forward and find some sort of value in their grief. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it's not it's not like you're a robot who doesn't have an emotion, but rather that you can learn from your emotions, you can experience them in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. um, and just one more quick side note. So there's a new book recently called Option B, Facing Adversity, Building Resilience and Finding Joy. Um, it's by Sheryl Sandberg, the COO of Facebook, who you've probably heard of her. Yeah. <laughs> she, yeah, she um, wrote this book after her husband died really tragically and unexpectedly. Um, and she wrote it together with a psychologist, um, Professor Adam Grant. But it's a really nice memoir of how she sort of went through that process. And she was able to find some resilience um, over time. Um, but certainly, you know, it's just absolutely heartbreaking for her and her children. Mm -hmm. So anyway, there's some great, great reading out there for people who are interested in this. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, so we're, and you're talking about grief and loss. One, um, particular type of, uh, loss that you can think about or that researchers have thought about in relation to resilience is, um, being diagnosed with either an acute or chronic medical problem, um, for example, having a heart attack, being diagnosed with cancer, being diagnosed with HIV and AIDS, or AIDS, um, and actually that was one of the areas of um, that I did research on during um, graduate school was health outcomes in relation to this concept called benefit finding, um, which is kind of you know it's like another term for. Um, sort of making meaning um, and deriving some something positive out of a um, seemingly on the face negative event like being diagnosed with HIV, um, and in the um, in the sort of theory of why do we why do some people experience the positive changes? Um, uh, sh uh, 
there's a researcher named um, Taylor, Shelley Taylor, who um, she talks about the theory of cognitive adaptation, which basically means that um, that in perceiving the benefits in response to a stressor like a medical diagnosis, that there are strategies that people use to counteract the negative impact of a disease or experience. Um, and on that basis, the theory says that um, that the form, the the process of finding the positive may actually minimize um, adverse health outcomes by reducing distress. So kind of to simplify it, basically like you, I think you were, I can't remember which one you were talking about earlier, but um, the fact that when you go through um, an experience like a diagnosis, um, there are many things that change. One might be that you um, get motivated to change your health behaviors. So if you see that, oh, well, there were, there were specific things that led up to me having a heart attack, that I wasn't taking care of myself, my diet, exercise, those kinds of things, that you change your health, re health behaviors in reaction to that health event. Other things are that um, resources that may not have previously been available to you now become available to you. So for example, when I worked in an HIV clinic, um, people who got diagnosed with HIV um, actually had more access to medical care than they did prior to their diagnosis. There was a more comprehensive mm. and kind of holistic um, uh, medical care available through the infectious disease clinic, like access to a caseworker and social support and um, connection with other people who were going through similar things. So it improved their access to resources. It gave them an opportunity to really look at their health care and how they could take better care of themselves through taking medication, and then also um, to build social support and um, to kind of, you know, look at it as an opportunity to turn your life around is how people, like a wake-up call, some people would use that term. Mm-hmm. Sort of taking advantage of, um, of what resources they have to, to make some changes. And yeah. to, yeah, utilize what they have available. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And that's, you know, like we're talking about with resilience, that, that's not like a singular event, right? It's like right. There, there is a singular event in some situations with a, a health situation like a diagnosis, but then there's, you know, months or years afterward mm -hmm. where you're slowly making changes and um, learning maybe new information and um, accessing resources and um, and that sort of trajectory of kind of taking that um, event as an opportunity rather than sort of, you know, resignation um, mm -hmm. or, you know, like this is the end, um, that that's really a path to resilience. Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah. Um, and one, I think kind of one interesting thing that was sort of embedded in all of that research is that in some situations, um, the the things that people identify as the positives um, are actually not real. <laughs> so they talk about this sort of like like illusion of positive that even if your situation objectively hasn't changed all that much, right? Like you um, you are are poor and you still remain poor, but your Percep your your perception of either your health and how well you're doing may actually be better than it actually is. 
um, or your situation, you know, in terms of, um, you know, your, uh, what you've achieved or what you're working through, it doesn't necessarily always uh, match up to, um, like, I think the best example is for um, health outcomes. Like, people subjectively feel like they're doing better, like, physically feel better, but they're... Um, their sort of markers of disease may be exactly the same. So there's huh. kind of, but but what that shows is that um, that that's a really um, your, your attribution or your appraisal of how you're doing is actually associated with psychological adjustment, um, and then psychological adjustment may actually be associated with some um, disease processes. So sort of if you're if you're less depressed and handling stress better, then there may be some small amount of variability that that you um that your immune system does better or that you know those kinds huh. of things it's just very complicated and difficult yeah. to <laughs> narrow down yeah definitely complicated for sure my head is spinning with all this i know i know, <laughs> what to think I know. About. well let's make it let's take it back to the concrete and we you had come up with a really great list of ways to promote resilience so here are some suggestions for ways to promote resilience. And again, certain things about resilience you might not really have any control over. Um, but there are some things that, that we can probably, you know, think about, especially if you're going through a tough time. Um, so first suggestion, and this again and again, we see the importance of social support. So the suggestion that we came up with is create meaningful connected relationships. You know, we're social creatures. Use your social support when you have a tough time. If you're going through a hard time, reach out to people. Um, this is just consistently shown in the research that having close connected relationships helps kids and adults make it through difficulty. Mm -hmm. So that's probably the number one thing you can do. Two, yeah. <clears throat> look for ways to use any of the internal and external resources that you have available. So I think that's really like what you're saying. You know, there might be some some health resources or community that you have. Um, so those external resources, like your social network. Um, also look at any personal strengths that you might have. So think about what you, strengths you have. Are you resourceful at solving problems? And can you kick that into gear? Mm -hmm. uh, you have a strong self-esteem and sort of optimistic outlook. And if you are lucky enough <laughs> to have that, um, you know, utilize it. So just basically whatever you have available to you, try to tap into it. Yeah. 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 And one of the um, sort of cognitive strategies like we were referring to earlier is, um, is to create what's called a resilience story. So there's, uh, we'll, we'll post this on our show notes. Um, there's a long kind of description of how to go about do that, but some uh, about how to go about doing that. But some of the key points of it is that resilient individuals tend to tell more coherent stories that create meaning out of their stressful life experience and in which they see themselves as personal agents, often with the assistance of others, of the positive changes that have been able to bring about. So they are um, seeing their, their experience as kind of a transformative experience. There's like a chronological order of this happened and then this and then this. And a linking of the reason that those things happened is because I did something. So it's kind of a personal control 
um, over things going the way that they did. And that may not always be exactly reality, um, but it's sort of in the hindsight, right? Like the Monday night quarterback kind of thing of mm-hmm. like that, that, you know, making attributions, um, you know, that's kind of the nature of our human experience, right? Everybody has their own perspective and, and, it, and resilience research basically shows that um, the more positive your retelling of your story um, and the more in which you're taking personal responsibility for the positive changes that have happened, um, the more likely or the better your outcome, basically. Yeah, cool. So people who are interested in that can look at the the stuff that we'll link to on our webpage and can kind of delve a bit deeper. Yeah. Um, and I think along those lines, you know, just thinking of how we respond in terms of how we think about these difficult events, I think there's a certain perspective taking that you, that you can take on, you know, life is hard for everyone. And if you sort of remember that, that, that these kind of things are an inevitable part of our life, um, you know, and that they, okay, this is mine now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there's some research that even, you know, adults who had experienced some adversity earlier in life. So like maybe went through something difficult in childhood actually in some ways are better at adapting to stressful events later. So mm-hmm. just kind of reminding yourself, like, this is something everyone experiences. This is going to help me grow. Um, yeah. Just having that sort of perspective taking and recognizing like time heals, you know, I'm going through a tough time right now, or this is a hard thing that I'm dealing with at the moment, but this isn't going to be like this forever. Um, you yeah. know, just sort of keep things, just recognizing that things will change and that, that there's a certain perspective taking you can have. Yeah. And I think that that perspective taking is kind of linked to one of the components of self-compassion, which is um, common humanity. So those mm-hmm. phrases that you just used, like everybody goes through this, um, you know, builds empathy for other people and then through that empathy for yourself, which is a important component of resilience. Absolutely. And I do think that, you know, if we've been through difficulty, we can have a little bit of compassion for ourselves in terms of how we take care of ourselves and, and kind of recognize, like not judging ourselves too harshly when we go through a hard time. And it can help with compassion for others. So just being like, Next time someone you know goes through a hard time, you might be able to understand it a little better. Yeah. And to feel for them in a different way, having experienced it yourself. Yeah. So, I yeah, it helps with compassion. Yeah. On and all I think, levels. well, and what it sort of just popped into my head is that that catchphrase that we use a lot now, which is a perspective taking tool, is this is a first world problem, right? So, my laptop got stolen first world problem right right? yeah (laughs) and so when we say that to each other it's kind of like hey you know keep it in perspective like it's just a computer it's just a car or whatever those kinds of inconveniences that feel really you know uh intense maybe in the moment or really unfair in the moment but yeah I mean that's that post-traumatic growth idea that it's trauma or difficulty can put things in perspective yeah. can make those little minor problems seem like okay yeah. it's not the end of the world yeah. yeah and for anyone who wants to look a little bit more we had a an episode several months ago about self-compassion so anyone who wants to learn a little bit more about that and some practical ways that you can increase self-compassion um, might want to go back and listen to that I think you and Diana recorded that yeah, together it was yeah. a lot of really interesting stuff 
Okay, so another thing you can do to promote resilience in your life is to, this kind of goes back to what we've been saying all along, but to, to find ways to find meaning and purpose through your suffering, to ask what your pain is teaching you about what's important to you and what you care about, and see if there are ways to engage in a meaningful cause. And I think we can all think of examples of times like a parent has lost a child and it's just so horrible, but they maybe created something that can help other kids as a result of that, or just looking for for a way that they that you can um, find meaning through your difficult experience and, and use it to grow. Mm-hmm. I think that um, Viktor Frankl is a great example of this. He wrote a book decades ago called Man's Search for Meaning, and he was in concentration camps, in a concentration camp um, in World War II, and was able to find meaning even in that most dire, horrific situation by taking care. He was a physician, so he was able to take care of some of the other people in the concentration camp. And doing that gave him this meaning and purpose that helped him get through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the book yeah, is really inspiring. That yeah. It's like if you can find meaning and purpose in that situation, yeah. um, you know. Yeah. That's the inspiration for a lot of this research, I think, is that absolutely mm-hmm. um another another strategy is to take sort of baby steps to move forward so doing things like you know to kind of taking steps in the direction of where you want to be going setting goals for yourself kind of you know whether it's problem solving or self-care it's like you know you want to kind of continue to function as best you can you know pace yourself and give yourself time take breaks when you need it but still continue to sort of gradually put one foot in front of the next. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mike and Baum, and we'll link to this on our show notes again, um, has created a resilience checklist, which I think is fantastic for kind of um, making these baby steps more concrete. Um, so some of the things that are listed here are uh, areas of physical fitness, um, interpersonal fitness, uh, emotional fitness, thinking fitness. So he's really focusing and he uses this a lot with returning veterans um, to how to like how to create really daily self-care habits that promote resilience. And there's, you know, really um, small steps that you can take that over time really build your resilience and um, and help you recover if you've experienced trauma. Absolutely. Yeah. And just even like one of those small things can can kind of add up over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And finally, just kind of to close out these suggestions, um, we I would just really encourage people, if you find that you're really having a tough time in response to some difficulty, um, consider reaching out for professional help, um, you know, whether it's trauma or loss or just whatever it is. Um, you know, it's really human to struggle sometimes. And I think it's important for people to reach out when they need support and a professional like us yeah, <laughs> or any other yeah. mental health professional can really um, kind of help navigate that and, and potentially help you turn your difficulty into resilience, hopefully. So, yeah, I think yeah so reach the, out if you need it. We, yeah. 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 I think one of the things that is, that can be helpful about professional support is that oftentimes um, you really need somebody who can more objectively listen. And sometimes what happens that, you know, with the best intentions and talking to friends or family is that is that people really try to either relate to you or to tell you, oh, it'll be fine or, you know what I mean? They basically just don't say the right thing at the right time. And, and yeah. sometimes yeah. all you need is somebody to just listen to your story. 
That's right. I think sometimes people, their own discomfort gets in the way of being able to really be there for you. And certainly that can happen with professionals too sometimes, but ideally, you know, since a professional would be a little bit more neutral, they might Mm -hmm. just be able to, to listen and support you. So, yeah. Yeah. So this has been really interesting, Debbie. Thank you for all the research that you did and putting this together. Well, likewise. Thank you, Ray. This is really interesting stuff. I could have probably gone on for hours and hours more. So still a lot to say. But um, yeah, if people want to learn more, definitely connect to our, our show notes and take a look at some of the resources we'll put up there. If you liked the episode, please go onto iTunes and write a review. It really helps us out. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes. You can also find us at www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's offtheclockpsych.com. Music by John Goo and Susie Stevens.